Hello everyone and welcome to episode 14 of Hints for Healing, a podcast where we discuss multidisciplinary work that contributes to the healing of children and young people with refugee experience. I want to acknowledge that I'm recording on the land of the Garingai people and I pay my respects to the traditional custodians of this land, to their ancestors, their elders, past, present and emerging, and I also acknowledge the injustice that they've experienced and continue to experience, and I recognise their resilience in the face of this. I'd like to extend a special welcome to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people tuning in today. I'm Nicole Lur, a school liaison officer on the school liaison team at STARTS, which is the New South Wales-based service for the treatment and rehabilitation of torture and trauma survivors. In this episode, you'll hear me in conversation with Start's senior clinician and clinical trainer, Nuria Marabi. Nuria has more than 30 years experience working with refugees, both overseas and here in Australia, and that includes over 25 years working at Start's. Nuria is herself a former refugee from Afghanistan, where she trained as a medical doctor, and she then completed a Master of Counselling in Australia. In this podcast, Nuria provides some context for the unfolding crisis in Afghanistan and explains how the situation is impacting on the Afghan diaspora. Nuria also shares her tips on how educators can best support students and families at this time while also maintaining their own self-care. We wrap up listening to what gives Nuria reason for hope at this heartbreaking time. Good morning, Nuria, and welcome to the Hints to Healing podcast. Good morning. Um, thank you for giving me this opportunity to be here with you today. Oh, we're so glad you could be here, Nuria. It's been such an awful time recently for Afghans all around the world. So first, I'd like to sincerely thank you for making this time to speak with me today. Um, I know how busy you've been supporting the Afghan diaspora in New South Wales, um, while also having your own worries for family in Afghanistan. So thanks very much for sharing your time with us today. It's my pleasure. So whatever that I can contribute, I'm more than happy to do. Oh, thanks, Nuria. Now, for listeners that aren't familiar with what's been happening in Afghanistan over the last few weeks and months, uh, could you briefly outline what's been happening in the lead up to the current crisis and why Afghans in Australia are so worried about their family members in Afghanistan? Um, yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, since the announcement of withdrawal of um, US uh, troops in, uh, in NATO allies, and specifically since May 2021, when um, when um, kind of uh, um, this started, in people, um, uh, I mean, Afghans um, express fear, anxiety, even from that time, because they were worried about the future, in the future of their loved one, and what's going to happen. But obviously, when um, Kabul was um, captured on the 15th of August. And it happened, um, it became like a shock, uh, 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 not only for Afghans, but I think for the whole world, because no one was prepared for that. And then uh, and it happened very suddenly. I heard from uh, many Afghans that they say, well, 
our country was um, occupied in a blink of an eye again. And um, so um, it, that's why uh, it's a lot of questions actually for Afghans. They have a feeling of um, uh, anger, betrayal, um, shock, disbelief, but uh, questions like what happened? Like no one can believe what happened. Like how could this uh, possibly happen? Because um, it, it, it is um, like, it, it, it's most Afghans say that it's an attack to our identity, to our mm. dignity, to our pride. And, and um, this feeling of betrayal is so intense because uh, for 20 years, um, US and NATO allies were in Afghanistan uh, and um, we're, in September, in very close to 11th of September, when um, uh, when um, war um, against the Taliban started in Afghanistan, and um, the Taliban were um, um, uh, beaten and, and driven back, and here we go, 20 years later, uh, we're in the same boat. So there's a lot of questions, like a lot of unknown questions for Afghans. What happened? Like why, what was the purpose of trillions of dollars that were spent in Afghanistan to um, uh, thousands of foreign soldiers that were killed and over 130,000 um, civilians of Afghans were killed. Over 400 people are inter internally displaced at the moment. And I'm sure it's gone up because no one can keep keep track of it, mm. and it has like all the schools, hospitals, all those suicide bombs, everything else that was happening in the last 20 years, all the sacrifice that people did. And Afghans, three, over 300 Afghans were trained um, um, with, with highest um, weapons. 300,000? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, 300,000, yeah. Uh, in what happened? So that's why, like, it's like the whole. What was the whole purpose to re that of the war when uh, Taliban were replaced mm. again by the Taliban? So that's why it's a lot of anguish. It's yeah. a lot of a lot of betrayal, a lot of mm. um, feeling of being abandoned mm. uh, by the Western world amongst yeah. Afghans. Yeah, I've noticed that too. And um, what I've been hearing um, from how the diaspora here has been affected, it's it's somehow on a different level to other um, traumas that the Afghan community has faced over many decades. It's yeah, like you explained that that meaninglessness, that hopelessness, that betrayal. It's um, yeah, really exacerbates the anguish. Yeah, it is. But also, it's um, it's extremely. Um, stressful circumstances for Afghans um, who are living in Western countries. I'm not even only talking about mm. Australia or New South Wales because Afghans are scattered all around the world. Prior to um, yeah, Syria crisis, Afghanistan was the leading country of generating refugees and, and it was overtaken by Syria since then. But still it's the um, uh, second largest group of generating refugees. Mm. And then, um, uh, so they, uh, they have family members, they're caught in the, uh, in the war or, or in Afghanistan. And one of the worst humanitarian crises that's happening, I think in the world, and another problem is um, that uh, 
all our neighboring countries, they cross their borders against Afghans. I mean, Afghanistan is a very mountainous country and people can find their way to grow through mountains or mm. other places as well, but it's blocked. But also they, if even if they make it to neighboring countries, they will be driven back to Afghanistan. So no one will accept them. And plus the only option is left for them was the airplane, but how many people can get out of the country just using the airplane? And we have heard and witnessed the really tragic, yeah. uh, devastating um, uh, incident that happened in Kabul here for yeah. in, in over a hundred civilians and so many injured people. Uh, and also like the scene of the airport is devastating for anyone to see that level of desperation, yeah. how, because people are in fight and flight respond mm. in those circumstances, the rational brain and prefrontal mm. cortex is overdriven. So when people were trying to hang um, themselves, like kind of hold on to the airport um, from outside, the rationality, they would die anyway, but that, uh, but the death is either way. Yeah. So that's why the rational brain is overdriven mm. by, um, by um, our fight and flight respond. Yeah. And then, um, so that's uh, that, that's um, uh, that that's why they're extremely worried about their family members um, and their loved ones that they caught, caught overseas. They're feeling really, really guilty uh, for not risking them. Another thing, a lot of Afghan families are relying on the support that they're receiving from their um, family members who are overseas and support them financially because like, the cost of living in Afghanistan is so high and it's gone, I don't know how, how many times higher than before. And banks are closed, people can't send money. So it's mm. a lot of guilt, a lot of survivor guilt in this yeah. region, being helpless and mm. hopeless at the moment, yeah. Yeah, yeah, thank you for explaining that I know. You're affected by this as well. So thanks for um, enlightening us with what's what people are experiencing at the moment. Um, look, I'm really conscious how um, multi-ethnic um, Afghanistan is. So I was wondering if you can tell me whether the, the multi-ethnic nature of Afghanistan has any impact on how different ethnic groups across Afghanistan are being impacted, perhaps differently, I don't know, by the, the rise of the, the power of the Taliban. Um, yes, um, uh, um, waves of migration uh, and um, in occupation brought different ethnic groups to Afghanistan, mm. and um, uh, all Afghans, all Afghans, regardless of their ethnic groups, mm. have been by and large affected by what had happened in Afghanistan. Mm. So some of the symptoms are completely like it's just common amongst everyone, specifically anger, betrayal, shock, disbelief being abandoned. Uh, however, each ethnic group also have, has been affected on their own way because of the nature of their specific ethnic groups. So I'll briefly talk about it. Um, uh, Pashtuns are the largest ethnic group in Afghanistan who governed the country from the time that it was formed uh, by um, Ahmad Chaudhurani as Afghanistan and named Afghanistan. And um, they are um, one of the most powerful um, people in Afghanistan uh, in holding key position in the country. Um, however, um, Pashtuns also share a language with um, 
a, a big number or large number of Talibans because they, they also speak Pashto. But it's really, really important that we bear in mind that not um, all Pashtuns are Talib, nor each Talib is Pashtun. Uh, we have Talibans from all around the world that they were recruited. Uh, and, um, so including um, a big number of um, Taliban from Pakistan, from Arabic countries, um, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Somalia, okay. from everywhere, okay. even from Australia. Okay. So in uh, English speaking uh, countries, um, I don't want to name, but we had okay. examples of those people as well. Okay. And uh, so um, in, in what, what does it mean? Because um, maybe Pashtun will be uh, a bit kind of um, uh, rejected by broader Afghan community because of their kind of uh, associated language with the Taliban, mm. and also maybe they're seen as um, uh, the, the like um, yeah linked to the Taliban, yeah. and then um, or over generalization. It's like uh, to make it easy after the 11th of September and almost 1.6 billion Muslims became or associated with terrorism mm. or terrorists, which is not true. Yeah. So that's the example. But also Pashtuns themselves may be feeling um, guilty, ashamed, uh, and, um, and, um, and angry and, uh, and, um, and uh, affected by what's happening um, anyway. Uh, so like the general effect will be on them as well. So the second group are Tajiks, and Tajiks are also um, I mean, they, they are in Kabul, but also in North Afghanistan um, specifically, and um, they're also affected. Um, I mean, Pashtuns also had key members in the government, in previous government, in Ghani's government, and in Karzai's government, and those who, who have loved ones um, uh, in Afghanistan, um, uh, are obviously their life is more at risk as well because of their work with foreign aids as well as the government, but also with Tajiks as well. They're educated, most of the Tajiks are educated people in um, kind uh, in, um, in, uh, um, uh, um, they're kind of um, had key members, they're journalists and um, human rights activists and so on. So they're at risk, but also, um, a certain part of Afghanistan um, is uh, the Panjshir Valley or Panjshir province that is not being surrounded by the Taliban mm. or occupied by the Taliban. Mm -hmm. They were um, a group of people that they retaliated um, strongly against the Taliban after, after 11th of September because um, uh, uh, their commander, Commander Masoud, was killed um, 9th of September on that time. Mm. Uh, I'm talking about Panjshir Valley. And then, uh, so, in because of that, like they were in acute revenge. And of course, they, they um, were actively involved in war against um, the on that time. And uh, they also um, retaliated, or not, I mean, they, um, they, uh, they are not occupied by. By the Taliban, mm. even though there's few um, recent reports that Taliban attacked it, mm. uh, but it hasn't 
been taking over. So it's a lot of concern, like it's a lot um, people from Panjshir um, in some other part of North Afghanistan, they are in acute um, grief, but also fear. They're terrified mm. because it is occupied, what's the consequence? Yeah. Or if the retaliation happens, then um, um, what would be, um, like how many people will be killed? But also their family members in Kabul or other states, and not everyone is in Panjshir, they're literally in um, hiding themselves mm. from houses to houses because they're in acute high risk of being um, taken or uh, prosecuted by the Taliban. So yeah. it's a lot of um, a lot of grief and fear and helplessness and hopelessness. Mm. The third largest group um, are Hazaras. Um, in Hazara has got a long-standing um, uh, um, this uh, history of long-standing discrimination and violation of their human rights by the Taliban and um, other um, ethnic groups. So uh, most of Hazaras who are uh, residing in New South Wales or um, other part of the world, they uh, have had direct um, uh, experience of torture and trauma, losing family members and prosecution in the hands of the Taliban. So they're really, really re-traumatized. Their past experiences uh, triggered even um, even um, seeing uh, Taliban in TV brings a lot of their traumatic memories. So it's quite difficult uh, for them. And then uh, and, and they're re-traumatized. And obviously they're also concerned about their loved ones because they know that they're also at high risk. Um, so, but overall, um, Afghans believe that what happened in um, in uh, Afghanistan is this an attack to our dignity, to our pride, to our identity, taking down Afghan national. It's very intrusive and very painful for many Afghans to see this because we had it for um, century yeah. uh, and since our day of independent. Um, so, um, um, I mean, that's the brief. Um, kind of uh, over your view of what's happening. Yeah, that's really helpful, Nuria, but yeah, so heartbreaking to hear it explained like that. Um, you've already touched on this already about what, what people um, in Australia with links to Afghanistan are experiencing, but uh, what, what symptoms specifically during the day, during the night are you um, seeing amongst the Afghan community here? Yeah, sorry, but I will answer this question, but I have forgot that we have other ethnic minorities, yes. like Uzbeks and Turk, Turkmans, and, and also we have a percentage of Hindus in six. Uh, they're also affected, um, yes. specifically that they're in minority group and they're at risk of attack by the Taliban, but mm. they're worried about their loved ones as well, so I don't yes. want to... Uh, kind of exclude them as well. No, not at all. Thank you for adding that, Nuria. Yeah. So can we get back to your yeah. other question? So, yeah. Sorry. yeah. No, not at all. Um, yeah. So you've already said quite a bit about the emotional impact, the the mental impact of um, what's what's going on in Afghanistan. But um, I'm thinking about um, teachers and school counselors that have students um, with links to Afghanistan. And um, so, what's what symptoms could their students be experiencing at the moment? And and the parents and carers of those students as well. Yeah, obviously, um, I mean, um, Afghans are um, directly affected 
by what's happening in by specifically by images of war in everything, but also re-traumatized by triggering their past experiences. So most Afghans like um, they, uh, I mean, feeling guilty, anger, um, and, um, and uh, helpless and hopelessness is very predominant, fear, um, anxiety, and um, uh, their past like post-traumatic symptoms is triggered and intensified. We have seen really high level of anxiety and PTSD symptoms in other Afghan clients. Um, and then uh, with um, uh, uh, kind of recurrent thoughts, flashbacks, mm. sleep has been one of the main symptoms. People can't sleep. Yeah. because they're so restless but also they stay awake for the time zoom so they can speak with their loved ones overseas of like uh, in afghanistan but also all around the world to chat and talk and then um and plus um uh, they uh, watched um, afghan news so uh, and they're constantly following that so literally, there's no break from yeah. social media or um, news. Yeah. So in, uh, one of the things that will be really um, seen um, in students is concentration problem. Yeah. So they may not be focusing, they may not be concentrating. And then, um, and also, they may not be in, in, engaging in conversation, like kind of withdrawal, avoidness, being in their own world, or sometimes they may be aggressive and angry and um and wanted to do things and yeah. and there's a lot of a lot of tension in families as well like because um parents or caregivers they're so under enormous stress and their own trauma is on board so it, it it's a lot of tension in the house environment even uh, maybe conflict mm. um and, and and specifically um supporting families because Every, every party wants to um, support their own immediate family yeah. and that can create and generate conflicts. And students are unfortunately at home at the moment because of the COVID restriction. So that also has a, a further level of impact on them, yeah. on, on students. So it's symptoms of depression, um, increasing appetite, decreasing appetite, um, and, and also um, suicidal ideation yeah. or even suicidal thoughts. Uh, some Afghans may not even say that I want to end my life or I want to um, kill myself because of their strong Islamic beliefs. But yeah. if they say, I, I wish God um, take my life, um, or I wish um, God um, in my life, this can be an indication of suicidal thoughts because mm. um, suicide is forbidden in Islam mm. and some people might not even disclose this because mm. um, of their religious beliefs. So we need to um, keep an eye on that. Um, mm. Those, I mean, those are um, the main symptoms that um, are presented with um, adults and with um, with children yeah yeah so yeah. if teachers are quite aware of this they're aware of the difficulty with concentration with um getting enough sleep um difficulty making those early morning zoom calls um with the class um if teachers are quite aware of that what what can they do to support their students at this time to keep them somehow engaged with um, their school community what would be helpful for teachers to do at this time 
Yes, I, I think one of the main important thing, I mean, I've been doing a lot of um, recently, I'm doing a lot of debriefing and, um, and also self-care um, sessions with Afghans and non-Afghans uh, recently. To be honest, one of the really important thing that Afghans need to be acknowledged, feel validated and acknowledged with a non-judgmental attitude that we are with them, not against them. But in specifically with, um, with schools, um, because of the COVID restriction, which uh, uh, um, uh, it's another question on its own, I think, um, it's uh, that um, because of the COVID restriction and because of school um, homeschooling, um, what what is really important uh, for teachers that um, they they are aware of what's happening, what are the impact impacts of these recent um, uh, crisis in Afghanistan on students, and 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 have a, um, at least one person to regularly contact a student. Um, and uh, I would say even on daily basis, if it's possible, and also to have some flexibility around um, uh, learning, um, because uh, we mentioned that concentration in sleep uh, is one of the problem. If they can't sleep, they can't concentrate. Yes. Specifically, I'm really uh, I'm concerned about newly arrived um, students um, in the last few years. Um, I mean, we didn't have much refugee arrival last year because of COVID, but still I will kind of in the last two to three years, those students um, have really um, close friends back home or overseas. So for them, even it's much more harder um, to uh, to contact um, the, uh, their families and, and, and friends. So basically for, uh, for the teachers, it's really important to have some sort of flexibility on the work that uh, students doing. Um, Education is such an important component for Afghans. So, and parents would expect them to do well, regardless of the circumstances. It might be hard for them to understand that everything, uh, these things are also impacting their children, not only them. So that's why it, it's really important to give this message to parents as well, that the, the children will catch up later on and try to um, a, a bit more light um, kind of topics and subjects um, and, uh, to uh, to um, uh, kind of that children do. Like it's really important also to keep them at school, even if it's remotely, because school can be a respite for them because they can engage, they can talk, they can connect. Uh, so anything that's a bit more um, lighter will be helpful, not having topics on war and some history, some things that can trigger them, I, I think that can be left for later on. And reassuring them that school is there for them to catch up later on because they might miss on maths or some really kind of important topics because they can't concentrate or um, so. And also having some routines for them because it's really good to have routine. And most importantly, they know that there's someone that they can talk and encouraging them as well to use their own resource who to identify one or two friends, an auntie, an uncle, a grandma or someone. If we look in every community, every family, there's someone um, uh, um, that they can talk, even if it's virtually. Uh, um, in a phone conversation or something that they can rely. So um, I think that these are the things that um, yeah. uh, school can do.
Yeah, that's really helpful, Nuria. at the moment. Mm. And, and, yeah, and specifically reassuring parents that um, that this this is a temporary time. The time mm. will pass, and it, it, the um, uh, student will catch up. Their children will catch up. They will not miss out on school. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and because that will be another failure for Afghan parents, mm. because later on, at the moment, everyone is in a survivor stage. They're in, really surviving. They're coping with the intensity of what had happened. But later on, their own it, it will from our experiences, mm. they, they're supposed to be worse. And then that mm. will add that. Yeah. because of this process, uh, they were unable to support their own child. But also we can educate them for small little things that they can do for their children or with their children. And um, um, like um, I always tell them like, um, um, to, to give a hug to your child, to spend a little bit of time to your child, um, or to have a walk with children, something that we can do it in this uh, COVID, under COVID circumstances. Restrictions, yeah. Yeah, I imagine that would be so reassuring to the students and to the parents to have the school actually tell them it's okay to prioritise your well-being at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, whatever you missed out on, um, we can catch up once, once things settle down and students are back to face-to-face. And um, yeah, just the, the idea is to stay connected to your supportive communities, in, which for many does include the school. Um, I am conscious yeah. that a, um, a lot of the schools that we've been talking to um, since mid-August, um, and there have been there have been schools that have um, been reaching out to their students, many on a daily basis, um, really trying their best to um, make sure their their Afghan community members know um, how much they're. Um, you know, in the mind of, of the staff members of the school. Um, a lot of the, the staff members that are reaching out, many of them are Afghan heritage themselves. And even if they don't, um, they're making, you know, call after call to very distressed families. So, um, you know, I'm conscious of the impact that that could be having on those school staff members as well. So what would you say to them to manage their own self-care and risks of vicarious trauma at this time? Uh, obviously, I mean, what vicarious trauma is formally identified in DSM-5 as um, one of the diagnostic category is um, being traumatized by hearing distressing news um, or distressing um, story of others. And um, so it is, um, it's, this, it's the same as um, it happens to everyone else. So maybe they will also experience symptoms like uh, not being able to sleep, um, having similar dreams to their clients, um, feeling uh, of anger, frustration, feeling guilty, helpless, hopeless, changing in worldview and spirituality and so on, exhausted and tired. And um, so it's really, really important. Um, I give this example quite a lot recently and i use this metaphor of the when we go to um when we are in a plane they told, tell us that put your oxygen mask first so um, because we have to breathe and rescue others so first of all this is really really important that we look after ourselves to be able to look after others so the abc of self-care is a is um, being aware of what's happening because if we react 
um, uh, differently, if we have different symptoms, if we have um, different attitudes to our um, family, we need to have some reflection and see what's happening to us. So that's the A in awareness. B is balance. It's really, really important. I know it's hard for us to keep some sort of balance between work and between um, uh, our personal life at the moment that we are dealing with this big crisis. But it's really important that we put our personal and um, uh, uh, in our family life variety because it's un unethical if we work, if we're physically and psychologically unwell because we are not gonna be any good for anyone. The third one is connection. So to maintain, I know it's COVID time, it's really hard to have face-to-face -face connection, but it's really, really important that maintain whatever virtual connection it is, it's possible. In addition, specifically for those who are coming from refugee and refugee-like backgrounds, uh, in Afghan backgrounds, like um, teachers, and obviously they, they might have been affected even more than um, general population. It's really, really important for them that um, their reaction is also a normal reaction, the way that we say to our clients. So they are also a part of the a traumatizing community and they also can refer themselves to STARS because we provide service for um, people who come from refugee and refugee -like backgrounds. They don't have to have um, a visa that um, certifies that they're refugees, but if they're from refugee and refugee-like background, they can, be they can refer themselves to STARS and we will provide our services to them as well. And then also um, people can go for um, employment assistant program and seek support. Um, uh, and um, I mean, I personally, I provided some training also for them uh, on working with Afghans um, and then uh, that will be, but also to have their own um, care support if, if possible supervision. And, and even if nothing, as, as possible um, is to just contact your local GP and GPs and they can refer them to private psychologists and we have two 20 sessions um, approved by Medicare. My message is please don't keep it for yourself, please mm. reach out, please practice your preaching to others because we will have to look after ourselves to be able to look after others. Okay. This work is um, quite overwhelming and um, we need to look and take breaks, um, look after your physical well-being, look after your psychological well-being. And also I'm, I'm aware that SARS has provided a series of podcasts um, for schools uh, on self-care and they can watch it as well. Mm. Thanks, Noria. Yeah, I'm just thinking about what you're saying about how um, how important self-care is, not only for ourselves, but also to be able to continue to support um, students and, and family members um, with Afghan heritage. So I know it's impossible to say about how this crisis will play out, but um, what do you think over the, the, week, the weeks and the months ahead uh, are students and families going to be needing from the people that support them, teachers, counsellors, etc. Yeah, I don't um, like. It's kind of uh, really difficult to um, to um, anticipate what's happening because yeah. every day we have something new. Yeah. And whatever happens um, in Afghanistan has got a very direct impact on on um, on Afghans here. Like on the day when the um, when the 
um, um, attack happened in Kabul airport, it was like a high level of emotional discharge and anxiety, and I'm sure it had impacted all students and families anywhere. So it's really very much relevant to what is happening, how much they can support and get out their family members, because Afghan is a very collective culture. The family, we, when we talk about our family, it doesn't include just our spouses and children, the whole entire extended family and aunties and uncles and everyone, cousins are our just close family. So that's really, really something that if um, it's unknown and they don't know what will happen. So I think I, to be honest, um, at, at least this year, um, it depends what will happen later, but this year, we will have to have all of these um, uh, points that we've spoken to students because it's uh, this acute crisis, I don't see that's going to yeah. kind of finish in the next three months. Yeah. So we're almost at the end of the year. So I think that, that we will have to continue this support um, uh, families. Even uh, I don't want to be too negative, but also I'm aware that people are in a survivor stage. Maybe later on we will see more people, even high, highly symptomatic than what it is. At the moment, they're more in doing action, like trying to fill out application mm -hmm. for some money to their families, trying to do something. But later on, it will help them um, more. Mm. Noria, what what gives you hope at the moment? Yeah. Um, Afghans are incredibly resilient people. We've survived the darkest side, side of humanity, to be honest. We have survived over 42 decades of war. And somehow we, 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 we found our way. Uh, we're incredibly resilient and strong people. And I'm, I'm really proud to be an Afghan. Uh, so that's, that's, uh, that's kind of, because when, when I say I'm Afghan, automatically in my brain, something comes, don't forget the history that um, you're incredibly resilient. And I have, um, it's very personal, but I don't mind sharing it. Um, my dad uh, was um, a high court judge and he used to tell me that uh, be as strong as the mountains of Afghanistan, no matter what um, happened, I never gave up. And through all my life of being a refugee, with all the adversity and all up, up and downs that had happened um, in my life, I always had that sentence in my head. Mm. And I believe many, many Afghan parents give this message um, to, um, to their children. And I believe many Afghans have that incredibly resilient. Mm. I, I don't have any word to say how proud in how I am and how resilient are Afghans. And I strongly believe that this time will pass. We'll pull ourselves together and this time will pass too. Thank you, Noria. That's a really good note to, to end on. Thank you so much for all your valuable insights and reflections today. And, and thank you from the bottom of my heart too for everything you do to support um, not only the Afghan diaspora in New South Wales and around the world, but for everyone that's fortunate enough to, to have you as a colleague or be trained by you. Um, thank you and Thanks. take good care.
Thank you so much, and thanks for, um, it's my really pleasure, and thanks for taking the time to do this. I think we need as many as possible so we can send out a message, um, we can help teachers and Afghans. This is my minimum that I can do, my contribution. We are so fortunate we are here, and um, very far from what it is opening there, even though it's far in distance, but it's very close to heart, but this is like the least that I can do. And I really appreciate taking the time and preparing this podcast. And I do hope that it, it is beneficial for um, for our educational departments. Oh. Thank you. Bye, Signoria. Thank you. Thank you.